0: St. Lawrence River is a huge river which flows to the sea. One night I saw a huge freighter which was heading toward the sea stop and anchored for the night. (coughs) The next morning the ship was facing upward, upriver, instead of downriver. This gigantic freighter weighing thousands of tons had slowly been turned completely around by the gentle pressure of the flow, the influence of the St. Lawrence River. When the ship was first anchored, it was pretty much aligned with the flow of the river so that the effect of the current on the vessel was almost unnoticeable. But at some point, it almost imperceptibly started drifting to one side, but with no correction, the ship was soon broadside to the current and being driven around to the opposite direction. He adds, beware of the influence of the world. The devil will try to turn you around and destroy you little by little. 1 Timothy 6, 6b says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, if you want to have an in-depth understanding of that, see Elder Joe, he taught that uh, in our last adult Bible blast. Um, but I want to talk about what is that? What is that great gain that Paul talks about? The world continually bombards us with the allure of great gain. And it uses many avenues to influence us, influence us to seek it. Television, radio, print advertising. You know, I, I hate the newspaper sometimes, particularly on the weekend, because half of the paper is what? Those little circular insects. I just throw them away. Um, social media, another thing. You can't seem to turn your phone off because somebody's telling you something sometime, all the time. Friends, coworkers, neighbors, and... And uh, bulletin boards, billboards, no longer static. Now they're all electronic, changing all the time. And all of it is to convince us that great gain is really two mighty actions. Acquiring and achieving. When When you boil it all down, the world is telling us that great gain is two things, acquiring and achieving. Acquiring things, more things, big things, better things, newer things, and achieving successes. Success in school, career, hobbies, athletics, even popularity. Tell me, how many Facebook friends do you have? Popularity. And to round it all out, the world is telling us that we should be thankful, we should be prideful, we should pat ourselves on the back, for all that we did to acquire and achieve. Contentment part of that? Well, that's the ever-elusive dream that is rarely realized by most people today. It seems the more we strive for prosperity and self-sufficiency, the more off course we find ourselves and we try to navigate our lives towards the sea of contentment. God's Word, though, does tell us that we are to strive for certain things, and particularly what is great gain. And because when we strive for those biblical things that bring us great gain, then there is contentment. Now, I had about two and a half pages of text, (laughs) and I said, you know, that's probably a little too much. Um, So let me give you two. 1 Corinthians 14:12 says strive to excel in building up the church. Now, this is not a knock, but it's not talking about what the building committee to, is going to be doing with an addition. Because the church is not the building, it's building up, strive to build up the body of Christ. And Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:22 says pursue, same thing for strive, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But then it tells us in what context. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I love that part. Great gain is striving, is working hard, expending time and effort in the building up of the church, both local and uh, universal. And how do we do that together? The Apostle Paul says, along with those who call upon the Lord. In doing that, we'll find and we'll experience the kind of contentment that Jesus wants us to have when he says, follow me. He's saying that's Papa. It's Poppy out there. No, it's not Poppy. Okay. That one wasn't ours this time, huh? Oh, Nathaniel. All right. Last Sunday, I, I talked about that dreaded talk. Remember in relationships? <laughs> Where is this relationship going? Well, I want to stay with that idea of relationship just a little bit as I reflect back a little bit on where we were and where we're heading today. Um, In a a lot of ways, the the kind of pressure and influence that the 12 uh, disciples were were getting in their time is really no different than what we get today. Uh, They, too, had pressures from the world around them, from society around them. And for them, pretty much for any Jewish person, it was that you're um, that we would have the inib- individual ability to live up to the law to hold to the law and that when we do that we can pat ourselves on the back that's why Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9 23 to 26 that 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 we would deny ourselves take up our cross daily and follow him that was not just countercultural that was turning their idea of of what life was like upside down. Jesus told them, listen, listen. My life will be taken from me, but I'm freely giving it up. And by the way, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a Christian, you need to live a life of dying to your own desires, of dying to your own perceived needs, of dying to your own agendas, and... You need to do that daily. Open your Bibles to Luke 9.23. Jesus is going to continue his pinpoint description of what it means to be one of his followers. Luke 9.23. We'll get a little further today. Luke 9.23 says, And... He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. <clears throat> okay, here's the big idea. You can write this down and you can go home. Well, maybe not. Followers of Jesus Christ follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's pretty simple, right? We can just pack our bags and go home. Well, unfortunately, while it is exactly that simple, that followers of Jesus follow Jesus, it's a practice that few Christians pursue with any real passion. Because it's not easy, to be honest. Because it demands too much from us. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it goes against the flow of the river, which is our life. So what does it mean to follow Jesus. Came up with a few things. I'm sure there's more. First, it means being with him. Following Jesus means being with him. If you say you want to follow Jesus, you need to spend time with him. Again, remember I talked about the, the romantic relationship and, and the talk? Well, let's go back there. If you say you wanted to be in a rom- romantic relationship with someone, one of the things that you would do would be to date, right? You'd... And, and what is a date? You, you go out with someone, you spend time with them, right? And if you want that relationship to develop and, and grow stronger, then you spend more time with them, and, and you don't mind doing that because that person becomes pretty much everything to you. You're interested in them, you're interested in what they want to say, what they have to say. It's no different with your relationship with Jesus. Percy Sledge, um, You guys don't remember him, but maybe you remember Michael Bolton. Some of you are young enough to remember that one. Okay. Uh, They both sang a song, and it's called When a Man Loves a Woman. When a man... Oh, I'm not going to sing it. All right. Loves a woman. All right, listen. Listen to some of the words of the song, and I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus. All right? Think about your relationship with Jesus. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'd trade the world for the good thing he's found. When a man loves a woman, spend his very last dime trying to hold on to what he needs. He'd give up all his comforts and sleep out in the rain if she said that's the way it ought to be. When a man loves a woman, I give you everything I got trying to hold on to your precious love. Now, you're probably thinking, come on, that's a secular song. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, um, becoming one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, Um, it likens the relationship of marriage to our relationship with Jesus, between us and the church. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that we can take those words and think about, because it was about a relationship between a man and a woman, how we can take those words and perhaps see if they are a a, a barometer, will you, a tape measure, of um, the depth of our relationship, of our spending time with Jesus Christ. Is that how we feel about him? You know, it's interesting, John and Charles Wesley, John was the preacher and the theologian, and Charles was, well, he was a theologian as well, but he used his theology to write hymns. And it's interesting that, um, and he wrote a lot of hymns. He wrote a lot of hymns. But his brother told him that we shouldn't be singing most of them because they were too intimate. They were too personal about their relationship with Jesus. You see, his brother understood That to love Jesus means to love Jesus with all of who we are. Um, And I think that's what Jesus wants us to to look at today as well. We need to spend time with him if we're going to follow him. Second, following Jesus means we listen to and obey what he says. The word disciple actually means someone who is a learner. So as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we choose to make learning About Jesus and what He has said, our highest priority in life. Often in a marriage, in in a in a dating relationship, the more you spend time together, the more you know about each other, the more there is to love each other, and that relationship begins to grow. And the same thing happens with our relationship with Jesus. But not only learn about Jesus, do. The Apostle James writes, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We just can't let it come in here and not let it affect our lives. When you're in a relationship with someone, you change. You do, both of you. Out of love for the other person, it's like some of the the rough edges kind of get taken away. You change in love for the other person, and that's happening here as well need to obey and follow what he says. Third, following Jesus is a lifelong endeavor. Unlike most marriages today, unfortunately. Um, In the Greek, the word follow is a present active imperative verb. Imperative is a command. So these are not options that he's telling us here. What it means is it's an ongoing practice. Being a follower of Jesus describes who we are. Being a follower of Jesus describes who we are. Following Jesus describes what we do. Noun, verb. Okay? Finally, following Jesus, being a disciple, means we teach what we have learned to others. Disciples in Jesus' day were kind of like apprentices in our day. They follow a particular teacher, they learn from him, and then they go out and then they become teachers. It's no different for Christians today. We must teach others about Jesus. In other words, disciples make disciples. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul writes, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. It's the multiplication process. A disciple makes disciples. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Listen to this. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. "...that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess everything, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, Thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley, thy life in my death. It's taken from the Valley of Visions, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. John MacArthur, speaking about that particular prayer and about our text, says this. He replied, Thy life in my death. That's the true gospel. It's not about exalting me, it's about slaying me. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you deny yourself, you take up your cross every day, and you follow me. It's death to self. You win by losing, you live by dying. And that is the core, the heart message of the gospel. And it's the center of discipleship. Let me put that in a more contemporary way. A follower of Jesus Christ must spend his life rather than hoard it. Disciple of Jesus Christ does not ask, how much can I get, but instead asks how much can I give? A Christian asks, what is the right thing to do instead of asking, what is the safe thing to do? You see, through faith in Jesus, we've been given life not to keep it, not to conserve, conserve it, but to spend it up for the benefit of others, for the building up of the kingdom of God. Rich was here with me Saturday, yesterday. Helped me put the chairs back and the furniture and things. Brought the flowers for us. Um. I was here for about maybe two hours doing that, and we had a nice, really long number of bunny trails, conversations. And he said, uh, he says, I'm 58, I think is what he said. He says, how old are you, Pastor? I said, I'm 60. And he went, are you kidding me? He says, I, I, thought, I thought you were like in your 40s. I'm like, bless you, child. Thank you. <laughs> he says, you have, the, you have the energy of a young man. And yet you're over here, and why, why weren't the deacons setting up the chairs? No, no offense, Joe, or Linda. He said, why weren't the deacons setting up the chairs? I said, because I didn't ask them. I didn't call them. I didn't ask them. Um, I, th- the point of our conversation there was, because he asked, well, how much do you give to, the, how, much do you, how much time do you spend? I mean, should I be here every time the church doors are open? Should I be and I said, well, that's a, m- maybe another whole different conversation. I said, but the core is that we should spend ourselves out for Jesus. And I said, it's a blessing that God has given me the energy at 60 that I probably had when I was 40. And I'm doing more work now than I was ever doing back when I was 40, you know, for him. And I think that's Paul's point here, or Jesus' uh, point in, You can't conserve what you have in hopes that you'll need it later, because God needs it right now. There's someone around you, a family member, a friend, someone from church, someone outside that needs what only you can offer to them. And yes, it's going to take time. And yes, you may be tired afterwards. And yes, you may have to juggle a few things in order to get some things done but we're to spend our lives, not save it. He's not talking about saving our lives, meaning salvation, you know, go to heaven kind of thing. He's talking about conserving our resources. And he's saying you can't conserve your resources, whatever your life is. You're to deplete them in the exercise of building the gospel of building the kingdom of God. And, And it's interesting. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. And Jesus freely gave his life. He, he expended his life. He depleted his life for us. And we need to make that choice freely as well. God's not going to do it automatically. He's not going to force us. We need to deplete ourselves of our own volition. If you want to save your life, he's saying here, in both the temporal and the eternal arenas, we need to do that. And if you're trying to do that by by fulfilling your own self-desires, your own self-goals, he says that, well, you're going to lose it. You're going to die physically and spiritually. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, if you lose it in a sense that you're self-denying, that you're depleting yourself, then you'll save it, both now and now. And for eternity. And and what Jesus is saying here and in the next verse really um, is significant to all of us. And and listen to my words closely so you don't misunderstand. Repeat it failure, repeat it failure to deny yourselves, to take up your cross daily, and to follow Jesus is an indication that you are still dead in your sins. That's what that's saying there. Not my words. You know, don't beat me up over it. Don't say that you're judging me. I, I, I'm not talking to anyone here in particular. And understand that this is not a description of a work salvation. But Jesus is talking about, he's giving us a description of those who actually follow Jesus and live and then those who don't follow Jesus in the way that he just said and die. All throughout Scripture, there are only two kinds of people. Those who are alive in Christ and those who are dead. That's all. There's no middle ground. There's no, you're almost saved. Let me put some clothes on this, so maybe it can help. What does this look like in our life? We need to die to our money. Jesus talks a lot about that. So does Paul. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. God says that we are to give generously to the work of building up our kingdom. God's word also says that we're generously to those in need because he uses us to be a conduit of his blessings financially to others. We need to die. Denying ourselves means we die to our money. It also means we die to expecting others to serve us. Um, working on a, uh, a, a new small group, uh, very specific-oriented, and, and I'm not sure how regular it's going to be. But I want to have uh, married couples night out. Hopefully we can get some folks that would be able to stay here and watch kids at the church. M- married couples night out. Uh, maybe go someplace where they have a, you know, a little later in the evening when have one of those happy hours where all the food prices get cut in half. We can sit there in kind of a room and just you know, enjoy some mozzarella sticks or something together. Um, I love these little burger sliders at the marina. You got to try them; they're really good. But I digress. As my stomach growls, the purpose of that is to build up and develop family life, couples' life, married couples. And the first thing that I'm going to talk about are roles in the relationship. What do you do? Who does what? Who takes out the trash? Who? does the cooking who does the cleaning who does the food who does who puts the who pays the bills who does all that who's how are the roles divided in your family and how did that come about and then what is what does God's word have to say about that so be thinking about that be praying about it I'm, it's still in uh, formation in my head, starting to take some notes down um but we We've got to die to expecting others to serve us. Over and over again, God's word tells us uh, to serve one another, to give preference to one another, to submit to one another. And, you know, all those things go, apply equally in the marriage. Speaking about marriage, we need to die to our families. And men, the bulk of our responsibility is on us. Apostle Paul writes that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, died, expended himself for her. Husbands, are you daily divesting, dying to your wants, to your needs, to your agendas, so that you can build, help build up Jesus Christ in your spouse? It's a paradox. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want your marriage to grow, you have to die. If you want God to honor your financial situations, you have to give it up. Verse 25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That's what's on the front of your bulletin. I found one of the most lavish Bedrooms I could find, what a beautiful view it has, and certainly nothing wrong with God provides that for you in your life. But the question is, how did it come about? How did you get? How did that bedroom get to be yours? Here Jesus counters a specific and reoccurring thought that roams around in our minds, even in the minds of Christians, about following Him, and here's that thought that he's addressing, that keeps going round and round in our minds. But Jesus, listen, if I do that, if I deny myself, if I take up my cross daily, and if I follow you, I'll miss out on so much of what the world offers. Can I have both? I want Jesus, I want you, Jesus, and I want the life that you you offer, but I also want what the world has to offer at the same time. And that goes around in our heads all the time. The famous evangelist, um, George Whitfield uh, once told of seeing some criminals riding in a cart on their way to the gallows to be hanged. They were arguing about who would sit on the right hand of the cart with no more concern than children who are going somewhere with their parents it seems absurd that men who are about to die would be arguing about who gets the best seat in the cart. Yet isn't that an indictment of us all? We're all about to die. This life is so fleeting and uncertain. Eternity is ahead, yet we devote ourselves to gaining position and possessions in this world with no thought of the world to come. For what does it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and loses or forfeits themselves? So Christian, listen, if you say you want to follow Jesus, are you still trying to gain the world? That's the the question. We talked about it in the back room. You know, that fence, the proverbial fence, you know, Christ here and the world here, and we like that on both sides because we don't make a commitment. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and the Holy Angels. So listen, this is like a therefore statement. So what it means is is that if you would want to come after me, but if you're not denying yourself if you're not taking up your cross daily, if you're not following me, if you're not trying to lose your life, if you're not trying to give up gaining the world, then whosoever, those people, if you're ashamed of me, and the idea is you would be because you're not doing those things. He's referring to those who consistently and repeatedly fail to do those things that he just said. In the end, when your life is over, you'll have nothing from Christ but him saying one thing. I never knew you. Depart from me. Hard words. Hard, hard words. Worldly success and achievement without following Jesus mean nothing and will accomplish Nothing. Its only end is the forfeiture of God's blessings. Its only end is walking through the valley, the shadow of death without the grace of God. Its only end is a heart hardened by the presence, hardened to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Its only end is separation from Jesus Christ. Its only end is hell. That's what he means when he says, For is ashamed of me, of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. I didn't get into this, but this is another uh, wonderful uh, uh, promise of his return here. He's promising to come back. All right, here's the last thing. Let's, let's bring it into the f- walls of the building here. When we compare Jesus' words here in Luke 9, 23-26 to, to what we see in the church today, I've got to tell you, folks, it breaks my heart. Jesus clearly taught that sacrifice is a part of what it means to be his disciple, his follower. But what we find in the church today are people who want just enough of Jesus to go to heaven. Again, not just this church, but in any of the buildings that house the church. They want to be a Christian without having to be a disciple. Instead of the church saying, come and die, what we're really saying is come and enjoy. We tell people to place their faith in Jesus, promising all the benefits of what it means to be a Christian, but because we want them to stay in our church, we fail to tell them about the commitment to Jesus and how it must be complete and that it will be costly. What happens is we become a church that makes no demands in the lives of the people who attend it. And that makes us ineffective in building the kingdom of God. Why? Because no one wants to make the necessary sacrifices inside the church to do the work of the church outside the church. And as a result, the church, we have lost our influence as a beacon of hope for the lost and those who are lost in their sin and without Jesus Christ. Folks, I I was really m- moved by that opening illustration of the, sh- the ship, you know, being anchored and the, f- the current's flowing this way, but all just throughout the night and because there was no correction, the ship just... Turned complete different direction. Much of the message today had that as its focus. Because this is the bottom line. As long as we will remain like that ship that does nothing to correct the slow but steady influence of the river in changing its direction, nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change. We need to wake up. Somebody on that ship need to wake up in the middle of the night and see that they were not heading in the right direction and done some corrections with the engines. We need to wake up and make the corrections. We need to change. With God's help, will you deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, and follow him? Let's pray. Lord, there are sometimes, times, uh, many times, I think perhaps the general atmosphere of coming to worship on a Sunday or any time that Christians are gathered should be in a, an attitude of joy and, and, and just uh, elation, Lord, for what you have done for us. But there certainly are other times when your word, just below the joy, focuses our attention on some deficit in our relationship with you. And that shouldn't make us happy. And I think this is one of those days. Last week as well. This text, Luke 9, 23 to 26, God is a, is a wake-up call for those who say they're a Christian. And it's a, a word of warning to those who want to come to faith, who who are seeking you out, that the Christian life is not a, a journey where we ride on cruise control and look out the window. It's a journey that we we focus, we work every day through the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, Father, so that we can bring honor and glory to you, so that that we will have influence for good in, in those in our sphere of influence, to lead them to you, to encourage them, to help them. Pray, Father, that we will leave here and ask the questions. Think about the questions. Pray about the questions. Are we, if we claim to follow Jesus, are we following the way that he said, denying ourselves? Every part of what that means. Taking up our cross daily, all of that means and intentionally following you. And if we're not, or if we're not doing it to an extent that that we understand Christ calling us, that we would make some changes in our lives. Help us, help us all to understand that our life is hidden in Christ. and that we live because of him. Thank you in in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.